you may remember that last time we talked about Jesus Christ as cross-cultural bridge builder. Remember that? Cross-cultural bridge builder. Of course, when we think about the ministry of Jesus as a whole, it's easy to see that he was a bridge builder with every lost soul, wasn't he? When he met someone, he built into their life. He connected with them, regardless of the social or cultural barriers that might be present in that relationship, in that interaction, in that setting. But our last study together provided us with an especially potent picture of Jesus as he ministered to a woman from Samaria. I do hope that as you reflect on that story, I hope that that story both comforted you as one to whom Jesus also built a bridge of grace. And I hope that that story also inspired you as someone surrounded by individuals who are just as needy today as that woman was then. You have those in your life, just as Jesus had that appointment with that woman, a divine appointment. So too do we with the people that God has placed in our lives, whatever that looks like. But what became of that woman? Right? What became of that woman? Jesus revealed that he knew about troubling details of her life. But in verse 26, he also confirmed for her that he was, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah. So she could have been scared off by what he told her about herself, that he knew that. But he also told her that he was, in fact, the Messiah. So what did she do in light of all of this? Well, turn back to John 4 if you haven't done so already. John chapter 4. And we're going to look at the rest of the story beginning in verse 27. John chapter 4, verse 27. I would encourage you, if you don't have a Bible open, open a Bible up in front of you. Open up your Bible app. Whatever you'd like to use with the Word of God to get to the Word of God this morning, have that available and in front of you. So coming out of the account of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, this is what we read. Just then, verse 27, just then his disciples, that's just after he told her, I am he, the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Can this be the Messiah? They, the townspeople, went out of the town and they were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, as they were scratching their heads, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say 
There are yet four months. Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may in fact rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans, John notes in verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans, because of the woman's testimony, uh, sorry, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So let's stop there. This morning, I'd like us to reflect on this passage by, by grounding ourselves in just one verse kind of making our camp right here in one verse. In fact, it's just one half of one verse. Look again at the beginning of verse 38. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Now, that should inspire a number of questions as you hear that statement. Maybe you already have those questions in your mind, but I think it should inspire a number of questions like, for example, who is Jesus speaking to in this verse? Well, I think we know that, right? The passage is fairly clear that Jesus is addressing his disciples. These are his disciples who hungry themselves knowing that Jesus was also hungry, went into Sychar, the, the, the Samaritan town close by, and they went into that village in order to get food to bring it back to Jesus so that all of them could eat. Now, please ask yourself this, though. While Jesus is clearly speaking to these disciples in verse 38, we know that, he is, in some sense, also speaking to every disciple both then and now. Is that true? Is he actually speaking to every disciple, both then and now? That is, what I'm asking is, when we read these words in verse 38 this morning, when we read them, is the Holy Spirit speaking today? Is he speaking today to every follower of Christ, proclaiming, I sent you to reap? Right? I sent you to reap. I believe He is doing that. I believe He is issuing that call to each of us, reminding us of this work. I believe the work described in this passage is the same work in which all of us are called to participate according to what the New Testament teaches us in many other passages. And of course, all of that is in fulfillment of God's call to the Israelites in the Old Testament to be 
a kingdom of priests among the nations. So this work that we're talking about is not simply a New Testament thing. It is predicted in the, in the Old Testament as the work that God's people were supposed to do then by being, in a sense, salt and light among the nations. Now, I'm not going to spend more time this morning defending that idea, this belief that the work described here is, in fact, the work of every believer in every generation. I've done that many other times in many other places. You can check the website for uh, those under the heading One Mission. You'll, you'll see more of those messages. In fact, I just preached on this same passage back in October, I think when we were out at the, out at the farm. Uh, one of those Sundays in October, I preached on this same passage. So you can go, yeah, so you can go back and take a look at that message. A uh, little bit more information there about this idea of the one work that all of us are called to participate in as followers of Jesus. But I want to simply do this this morning. Let's just start with that idea, that assumption, that this is the work we're all involved in, and let's dig down from there in light of the context. So we'll talk more about the specifics of this reaping, right? What does it mean to reap? But for now, I believe it's helpful for us to ask, what did Jesus mean when he said, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor? What does he mean by that? I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Well, I think there are are really two biblical answers to that question. One being situational and one being spiritual. A situational answer and a spiritual answer. Situationally, the disciples were called to reap that for which they did not labor in the sense that both Jesus and this Samaritan woman were the only messengers in this chapter. They're the only messengers here. They're the only truth proclaimers in this situation. The disciples haven't been doing anything. They've just been trying to get food. Jesus and the woman are both declaring truth, are both preaching truth, aren't they? Jesus had shared with this woman the truth about who he was and God's what God was doing. And in response, she wonderfully went and shared that truth with her Samaritan neighbors. Come see a man who told me everything that I did. Could this be the Messiah? Right? Do you see that? So she went and did that with her neighbors. So both, both Jesus and this woman had sowed the seed of the word. And now the presently confused disciples would be involved in the reaping. Make sense? So they're reaping for that which they did not labor. Jesus has already labored. The woman has been laboring. Jesus is wanting them to be aware of the situation. But I love this idea because when we think about the same idea spiritually, not just situationally from that context, when we think about this idea spiritually, I think the New Testament reminds us that every bit of reaping we do as believers comes from a work for which we can claim no credit. Every bit of reaping that you do, right? 
every bit of reaping that you do comes from a work for which you can claim no credits. Using the same agrarian imagery, Paul touched on both of these situational and spiritual realities, not among the Samaritans, but Paul actually talked about this among the Corinthians. Look at this passage we'll put on the screen here. This is what Paul says. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Do you see the same imagery there? Paul talks about planting, but it's the same idea of sowing the seed, isn't it? Somebody was in Corinth sowing the seed. It was Apollos or it was Paul who was sowing the seed. Somebody watered, right? Apollos might have been watering the, the, what Paul had sown, the word of truth among those people. But Paul is quick to remind them that it's God who gives the growth in all of this. Of course, if we take that idea and really search the New Testament, we know that God does more than just give the growth once we share the word and water the word. He does more than that, far more than that. Paul described God's work from beginning to end in Romans 8, 29 through 30. Take a look at this passage coming up on your screen. Romans 8, verses 29 through 30. For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined that before... that, And this is before the foundation of the world, right? He foreknew, those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers... And those whom he in eternity past predestined, he also called in real time and space in history. He called and those whom he called, he also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. So spiritually, or we might say ultimately, disciples of Jesus are always reaping that for which they did not labor. Does that make sense? They're all, we're always reaping that for which we did not labor because it's always God's work from beginning to end. God is at work wonderfully. Though we are called to be faithful, though we are called to be faithful, we are not powerful, are we? We are not powerful, not even close to powerful enough or clever enough or determined enough to change another person's life in the way that matters most. So, keeping this in mind, look back with me at our main texts and think about several ideas that really help us understand more about this work of reaping. Remember, the question we're asking is, has 
God, is God saying to us today through the words of Jesus to you, I sent you to reap. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Yeah, he is. He is telling us that. What does that mean? It means in certain situations, somebody's already introduced Jesus to somebody. But guess what? You're going to be the one to follow up with them. You're going to be the one to help walk with them that much further. It also means, as we just looked at, how are we reaping for that which we did not labor? Well, God has been at work, hasn't He? God is at work in people's lives. Even before the foundation of the world, in eternity past, God was at work and is still working. Therefore, we are called to be part of this reaping work. So, if we keep that in mind... If we keep that in mind, I think there are several ideas here that help us understand more about this work of reaping. I think the first point helps us understand more about the nature of reaping. Starting at the end, I think that we see in verses 39 through 42. So we're going we're gonna to draw some ideas out of the passage itself. Okay, let's start at the end. 39 through 42. Take a look at that, what it says. So listen to this, verses 39 through 42. If you look back over those verses there in 39 through 42 of chapter 4, what do we see? Well, we see because of the woman's testimony, Jesus has gotten the attention of a large number of Samaritans, hasn't he? They have heard about him through the woman. Now notice what he does. Unlike the scores of people in the Gospels who have a transformative encounter with Christ, but yet a fleeting encounter with Christ. Think about that. Most of the people that Jesus ministered to, he was only talking with for a matter of minutes. Maybe a little longer in certain cases. If he was sitting at a meal, talking with somebody, may, of course, people could follow him. But a lot of those encounters, they were very fleeting. They were very fleeting. Unlike those encounters, Jesus, Jesus actually stays in this town for two more days. He stays right here, according to verse 40. And look at the results. Not only did many more believe because of his word, verse 41, but verse 42, those who did believe grew in their faith. Did you see that? It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Now, when John's gospel talks about belief, I think that we've already seen so far that it can mean belief in a number of different ways. It doesn't always mean saving faith as we would understand saving faith. Sometimes it means the first bit of faith that somebody has that is going to be deepened. Like it talks about some who believed in him, right, among the, the religious leaders, but they were not willing to admit that publicly. They were not willing to to go after him. Um, and then you have some who believe in him who turn around and walk away from him in John chapter 6. So we're seeing, we, we have to understand faith in light of what John's presenting as an evolving thing in light of the, the, of the ever, ever growing light of Christ, more that he's revealing about himself uh, throughout this gospel. So what we actually see here are those who believed on Jesus just based on the woman's testimony but as they listened to Christ, as they sat with him, 
their faith deepened. They began to understand more about what it meant that he was the Messiah, not just based on the limited amount of information that they had received from the woman. Now, although John does not mention it explicitly here, I'm guessing the disciples were also involved in this reaping work among the Samaritans. Just as they had been involved with baptizing for Jesus according to verse 2 of this chapter. right? If you look back at verse 2, they're the ones doing the baptism. So we know that they weren't just standing on the side watching Jesus do everything, were they? They were actually hands-on learning to minister to people along with Christ. And I think that's exactly what's happening here. When the disciples come back with this food, maybe a basket or something, a sack full of food, they're trying to get Jesus to eat. And what is he doing? He's like just brushing it away, brushing it away. How about this, Rabbi? No, no, put it away. No, here's your food. And he's looking. What is he doing? He's looking down the road. And here come the Samaritans. And he's saying, you know what? I don't need this. I have a food. I have a food that you don't know about. And I'm not going to eat because there is work to be done in just a few minutes. <laughs> Here they come. And you can see just, you can just imagine Jesus so excited about what he's about to be able to do based on that conversation with one woman by the well. So I think Jesus does, is involving the disciples here over the course of two days. That's what he's alluding to. You, I've sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Get ready to minister to these Samaritans, guys. Now, if we fast forward in time, thinking about this situation and fast forwarding in time, this is what we actually read in Acts chapter 8 about what happened several years later after Jesus' death, resurrection, and return to the Father. Look what it says in Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, and verse 25. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, that was through Philip's ministry. When they heard, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, any of the Samaritans, but they had only been baptized. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Well, guess what? Peter and John are back in Samaria. They're there in chapter 4 of John, years before. And then Acts 8 tells us that years, several years later, they go back. Why? Because they were sent to reap that for which they did not labor. It was God who used, it was God used Philip to bring the full gospel back, Christ's death, resurrection, his ascension, his work that he had done. He brought that message to the Samaritans. And we know Philip was a baptizer because he baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, didn't he? He was performing baptism among these people. But they had not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. That is an, an historic giving of the Holy Spirit, which was simply an evidence 
to all people that God was giving the Holy Spirit to different groups of people. The Jews, the Samaritans, the Gentiles, right? That's how God gave evidence of it, that he was working among all peoples. So here are Peter and John going back years later, maybe seeing some of the same people they met, maybe even meeting that woman again and seeing her and bringing her the full message of Jesus and praying and encouraging. This is the reaping work, brothers and sisters. Isn't it beautiful to see that God, I think Jesus was actually, think had that in mind too, as he talked about, I have sent you to reap. I have sent you to reap right here, even if it's many years from now as well. But what about you? Disciple of Jesus, believer, Christian. What about you? Are you looking for those who are curious or captivated by Jesus? Are you looking for those people in your life? Are you praying that God would bring them onto your path? Do you want to be prepared when he does bring them onto your path? That you might do the reaping work to which you were called. Do you want to be prepared so that you can gather them in to a fullness of faith, to a deeper knowledge of this Jesus who has gotten their attention? This is often how Jesus works. As he said, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. What does reaping mean? It means gathering for and gathering to Christ. We can be involved in that work, brothers and sisters, of gathering for and gathering to Christ. But we're also reminded in this passage that number two, reaping extends beyond Our boundaries. Reaping extends beyond our boundaries. You'll see that second point up on the screen here. Reaping extends beyond our boundaries. Look at verse 27. We saw in verse 27, sorry, we see in verse 27 the same dynamic that we talked about last time. The disciples are amazed by what? They're amazed that Jesus, a rabbi, was talking with a woman especially a Samaritan woman. That, that usually was not done. Uh, a man might have interactions with a woman who was not his wife in a public space for whatever pragmatic reason. Usually a rabbi would not engage with a, with a woman who was not his wife in a public setting like that. It just usually was never done. So these guys are coming back and looking. They're amazed that he's having this conversation with her, especially a Samaritan woman. But... It, John is quick to point out, instead of asking questions to actually figure out what's going on, they just hold their tongue. They just, they just stand there, right? They're not trying to learn more about the situation. They're not trying to encourage this woman with their own personal testimonies of what, what Jesus has done in their lives, how they came to know him as Messiah, what they've seen so far. They're not doing that. They remain silent. You see, they had certain social boundaries that they would not cross, even when they saw Jesus right before their eyes modeling something very different. Jesus was doing it, but they still feel like they they can't do it. They're not going to do it. So if we were sent to reap souls for Christ, brothers and sisters, 
Are we limiting the options? Are we paring down the possibilities in light of our own boundaries? And guess what? All of you have boundaries. I have boundaries. Whether we want to admit it or not, we draw lines around ourselves for various reasons. We draw lines around ourselves. These boundaries can be informed by what's comfortable for us. These boundaries can be informed by what's familiar. They can be informed by the, the, the kind of upbringing that we have. They can be uh, in, informed by personal affinities, maybe political affinities, by likability or level of difficulty. You know, how hard is this relationship? Uh, this person bothers me. I don't want to have... I don't want to have another conversation with them. Here's my boundary line. I don't want you to cross it. Uh, I grew up, we didn't talk with people like you. There's the boundary line. Write down the, write down the list. What is God showing us here? He's showing us that God, that He wants to open our hearts to all people at all times. All people at all times. And He wants to, to help us be sensitive and be aware of, to recognize and admit to the fact that just like these disciples, too quickly, too often, we are mindful of the boundary lines rather than the Savior, rather than the example of Jesus. God wants to correct that in us. He brings people onto our path for that very reason. And that idea of boundaries leads to a third idea here. Number three, reaping calls us to look with new eyes. Reaping calls us to look with new eyes. Look at verses 35 and 36 again. In verse 35, Jesus calls His followers, again, the Holy Spirit, speaking to us this morning, saying, Look, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. That's God's word to you this morning. That He's saying, look. Now, we're looking, right, with our physical eyes. He's saying, look into your circle. Look around you at the situations you're in. Look where God has placed you. Look at what's happening. And look with those eyes that are looking for the harvest. Where is the fruit? Where is the growth? Where is the harvest taking place? Reapers need to know when it's time to reap, don't they? They don't want to walk out with all their equipment into the field and guess what? They're a month early. <laughs> you don't want to do that. Reapers need to know when it is time to reap. So the eyes to see that fields are white for harvest are eyes that only God can give. Those are eyes that only God can give. By the way, when Jesus was talking about fields white for harvest, he may have been talking about the white robes of the Samaritans who were coming down the road. Most crops don't turn white for harvest time. They don't, the fields don't get white like that. Maybe cotton, right? Cotton. <laughs> but uh, in that area, in that time of things that they were growing, he may have been talking about the Samaritans who were walking down because that's where the next verse goes when you read it. But... God gives us those eyes. Through His Holy Spirit, God can give us the spiritual sensitivity, the spiritual discernment to know where someone is on that path of faith, conversion, and maturity. If you all are not already doing so, friends, ask God to give you those eyes. 
to give you that sensitivity, to give you that discernment of where people are spiritually around you. That's a big part of fulfilling the reaping work. Verse 35 is a call to action, isn't it? Look, lift up your eyes. God is saying to us each day, look, lift up your eyes. What do you see? Who is there around you? Shouldn't we respond to that call by prayerfully surveying the people that God has placed in our circles, both inside and outside the church? We absolutely should. We can be like the disciples, can't we? What did the disciples think? Well, Jesus using all these agrarian images, they may have thought, well, there's a time for sowing and there's a time for reaping. And we know that the sowing time, once you sow the seed, uh, the reaping time is really four months down the road. That's part kind of how the, Jew, the, the, the Israelites broke down their calendar. Two months increments. Two months of the time for sowing the seed. Two months for the spring harvest. Two months for the summer harvest. They had all those things kind of laid out like that. So Jesus is saying, just because the seed has been sowed, don't sit around thinking, well, someday, someday God will be at work. Someday it may happen. Don't we fall into this same trap? Well, I shared the word with somebody, or I know somebody shared the word. They heard someday it'll happen. But we use that, and that might be true, but we use that as an excuse not to be vigilant. Not to be spiritually vigilant, vigilant sensitive to what God is doing right there. And Jesus is telling these guys, don't you see that the sowing just took place? Guess what? The reaping is coming right after it on its heels. I know it sounds strange, but the reap sower and the reaper are going to be rejoicing together. Look at these people coming down the road. <laughs> I just talked to this woman. Here they come. Isn't this awesome? <laughs> Within a matter of minutes. But He wants to prepare them. God wants to prepare us with that same kind of sensitivity to His timing. Not only to what He has done, but to what He can do in our lives. Through our lives. Let me encourage you with one more observation, faith family. One more observation about reaping from the context here. Number four, Reaping should be deeply fulfilling. Reaping should be deeply fulfilling. To sow the seed of truth and then reap precious souls was not a burden to Jesus. Let me say that again. To sow the seed of truth and then reap precious souls was not a burden to Jesus. Such work was deeply fulfilling. So much so that he described it as food. It's like food to me, he says. Why was it so fulfilling or so filling? Using that food idea. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. To do the will of the Father. Brothers and sisters, to do the will of the Father should be a delight for His children. Do you believe that? Do you agree? To do the will of the Father should be a delight for His children. 
It can often be hard, both sowing and reaping. It can often be hard, but it should not be heavy. It should not be heavy. John himself, this apostle who recounts the story of Jesus among the Samaritans, John himself writes in one of his letters, he writes about this beautifully. Take a look at the screen. For this is the love of God, 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. I will tell you right now, if the commandments of God are burdensome to you, something is unhealthy in your spiritual life. This is not meant to discourage you. It's simply meant to help you get a sense of your temperature spiritually so that you can take the appropriate steps to say, I don't want to get comfortable in my faith with this feeling that the commandments of God are are heavy and burdensome to me. I know it feels that way right now. Doesn't mean you're not a follower of Christ. It just means something is wrong. And you want to understand that better. You want to say, why is it a burden for me to share about my master, my Lord, with others? Why is it heavy for me to be involved in this reaping work? My Jesus modeled for me that it was His delight to do the will of God. It was His food to do the will of God. It nourished Him. It sustained Him to do the will of God. What am I sustained by? What keeps you going? Very rarely is it sowing and reaping. Based on my own personal experience, conversations with all of you, we struggle with this. But the command of God, the, 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 the very thing that Jesus models for us should not be a burden to us. It should be a delight. And so what should we do in light of this? We should pray about this with God. We should talk with God and say, God, I don't want this to be a burden. It shouldn't be a burden for me. Why is it a burden? What's taken root in my life? What's got a hold of me? What's shaping me right now that causes me to think about sharing Christ and reaping for Him as a burden? As something that's heavy. That's something that's hard. Something that tempts me to make excuses. What is happening, Father? Help me. That's how we should be praying. Oftentimes, we're not even doing that. We're just tamping it down. We're just pushing it to the side and saying, oh, I don't have anybody to share with. Oh, it's not my job. I'm not equipped. Oh, that's really for someone else to do. Oh, I'll just screw it up if I say anything. Oh, and we have a whole list of rationales that we keep going down. And yet, what does the Holy Spirit say to us through the Word this morning? I sent you to reap. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. You see, God is at work. God is at work even now. And He wants you. He has you as part of His plan to reach people for Christ. You may not believe that this morning. You may may think, God's not going to use me to reach people for Christ. Guess what? You're wrong. He actually is going to use you. And if if you're dead set on believing He's not going to use you, then you're, you're really in disobedience this morning to His Word. 
you're, you're, you're moving forward in doubt and not faith, right? You're shrinking back in doubt because God's word said he's going to use you. So engage with him in faith this morning saying, God, I know that you sent me to reap. I know that you sent me to reap. You have a job for me to do. If the work of sowing or reaping in the lives of people around us is not fulfilling, but instead a burden, it's very important that we talk to God about why that is. Please talk with him about that. What in us does God need to refine? How might we need to be comforted or corrected as those who have been reaped ourselves, right? As as those who have been reaped in the harvest of God's incomparable grace. It should be our joy to be used in that very same work. Amen? So, where have we come to this morning? Well, when we think about what we've learned from John chapter chapter 4 thus far, I think sowing and reaping are great ways to sum it all up. This is what we've seen so far. Sowing and reaping. Sowing, what is sowing? Sowing is faithfully declaring the truth about Jesus. Jesus did that about himself. The woman went and did that with her neighbors. Reaping is gathering in the harvest that sowing often produces. Reaping is gathering in the harvest that sowing so often produces. In some cases, I think it can simply mean helping people move forward with what they already know about Jesus. So you may run into somebody, a coworker, a neighbor, a family member, and they may know something about Jesus, but you're going to be the one to help them move forward with that knowledge, to grow in that knowledge. But more often, I think it means welcoming and walking with those in whom God is working. We can all do this, can't we? Welcoming and walking with those in whom God is working. I think it involves grounding. It involves guiding. It involves guarding new believers in Christ. Now, all of that may sound beyond your pay grade initially, But please know that it ultimately means just being an encourager. Can you do that? Be an encourager? I know all of you can. You can be an encourager. All of us can encourage others toward faith and in faith. For example, a coworker may have heard about Jesus through social media. They may have heard about Jesus through, uh, from a family member. Maybe uh, God will then, or maybe they heard about Jesus because they saw the chosen, you know, popularity of the show. Who knows how they heard about Jesus? Well, it may be that God is going to use you to give that person a Bible or to share your own story about meeting Jesus or inviting that person to church. And then maybe that leads to doing a simple Bible study with that coworker. Right? Let's sit down for a couple weeks and just talk about the Word. Let me share some passages with you. Who knows what God might have in store for you? The problem is we are often not even open to those ideas. We don't make any space in our life for those, those, that work. Right? We discount ourselves. We count ourselves out. We place it on other people. God is speaking to every follower of Christ in this room and online this morning, saying, I sent you to reap. 
I sent you to reap. But remember, both sowing and reaping often involve bridge building, moving out of the comfortable and the familiar in order to connect with others for Christ, in order to connect others to Christ. Follower of Jesus, please remember the words of Jesus. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Why is that such a great reminder? That last part especially. It's a, it's a wonderful joy to know that we can be involved in the most important work in the universe. We can be involved in it. And what a comfort to know that ultimately God is at work. God is laboring as He fulfills His perfect plan. We don't go out by ourselves. What did Jesus say right before His commission to His, His great commission to His followers? He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He wanted to encourage them, didn't He? That they didn't go out without something at their backs, right? That something holding them up without, without a powerful mandate. Absolutely, they went out knowing that the Jesus they served had been entrusted as the Davidic king with all authority in heaven and on earth. We go with that same encouragement. I pray that you've been encouraged this morning. Maybe, uh, maybe to- for some of you towards faith, and maybe for some of you you've been encouraged in faith. But I'm thankful that you've been encouraged. Let's pray together as we finish. Let's pray and ask God to help us as those sent this morning. Would you pray with me?